Hello, and welcome back to Join the Conversation. I'm George Christopher Thomas, your radio talk show host and podcaster, and we are broadcasting and coming at you from the University of Alaska Fairbanks in College, Alaska. So now I invite you to sit back and enjoy this next interview with Alaska attorney Mark Billingsley. He is the director of Center Ice here at UAF and is well-versed in the economics of bringing inventions to the capitalistic marketplace of the world. We caught up with him in New Orleans, Louisiana. What is the show, Join the Conversation, you ask? Well, in this era of fake news and neo-yellow journalism, this podcast focuses on using academic insight and peer-reviewed understandings to get the real story out there. By basing the conversation in a college atmosphere, the focus is a combination of learning and accuracy that lays down the foundation for comprehending complex issues and concepts. Our host, which is me, invites you to join the conversation by listening as we bring in a cadre of guests from all over America and the world. This idea of peer-reviewed academia meeting media in real time is the newest concept in journalism. So on with the show. On our third show is Alaska attorney Mark Billingsley, director of Center Ice at UAF and an economic advisor of sorts for startups and innovative inventions. This interview is about 37 minutes. And thank you very much, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Uh, thank you for uh, non-binary earthlings, everyone that's listening. Thank you for joining us and join the conversation. This is KSUA 91.5 FM uh, based out of UAF. Uh, the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And we have a very special guest today. We have Mark Billingsley, who is running the Center ICE, which is Alaska's Center for Innovation and Commercialization, um, kind of an entrepreneurial startup, seed, uh, see what you can do, go uh, live the American dream type thing. So Mark, uh, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me. This is, this is a uh, pretty cool podcast that you're working on. Um, yeah, I'm the director for Center Ice. Um, I get so excited about uh, this innovation, commercialization, entrepreneurship stuff. I and I have a hard time understanding why everybody isn't excited about it. it, it there's so much going on, um, so much opportunity, so much potential. It is a you know I've been looking forward to this interview uh, just because of your background. Professionally, what I do is I start businesses. I uh, work with the newspaper and sell the legal notices. I do the business license, the business name, the permits to sell uh, retail from wholesale distributors. And what you do is kind of uh, what, start the snowball and uh, get the people going or how does it actually work? Yeah, so it we mostly focus on uh, tech-based or scalable businesses, uh, but we do serve and support all kinds of businesses. But you can think we're coming from a university that does research and that research a lot of times has research products, um, inventions or copyright, you know, software, whatever. Um, and I'm not talking necessarily about uh, faculty members or PhD candidates, um, undergraduate students as well. Um, but they've got ideas and we're here to 
support them in developing their idea. And I mean, every step of the way, like think about this idea a little bit more to find some teammates, get some money, build up a prototype, go out there and start talking to people who might want to buy it, find out that they have no interest in it, even though you think it's cool. Um, <laughs> all the way to, you know, start your business and raise some venture capital. Okay. So just as a fun uh, exercise for our listeners and uh, my two children who I'm going to force to listen to this, um, let's say I invented like a carbon capturing and holding on to advice, a device for the environment. Okay. So I've just come up with like floating white balls of fish food and they also repel the sun's rays. So we're going to go drop these, uh, you know, uh, ships full of this white floating fish food all around the border of uh, the, the ice cap, the polar ice cap. It's going to reverse the albedo effect. It's going to capture carbon and place CO2 into the fish uh, as food. And then when the fish die, they'll float down. So where do I start? Like, I just came up with this. Uh, I want to take my pipe dream and make it a reality. What do I do with my floating white fish food? <laughs> um, so hopefully you have some, you know, there's a lot of science and engineering, you know, geoengineering built into this idea. Um, maybe you don't have that background already. Let's find you a partner. Um, let's do some research about what's already being done. Uh, let's do some prototyping. We've got a mentor network and um, a network amongst startup founders can connect you to, to them. Um, go figure it out or, or go, go do some kind of prototyping to make sure this thing actually works. Um, there are, you know, specific accept business accelerators dedicated to clean tech, specific venture capital funds dedicated to clean tech. Um, anywhere along there, but I, I mean, it really depends, you know, so on some more of the details of where, where exactly are. If it's nothing but an idea, then let's do some research and make sure it's viable. Um, yeah. I mean, let's just say I was, I, you know, I was feeding Goldie the goldfish and the goldfish flakes fell over and, you know, touched the bleach and I was too lazy to clean it up. I see this fish food is now white. And in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, I've been reading about climate change for semesters now. What if there was white fish food? So the, the partnership, like we basically go and say, okay, let's connect, uh, you know, George with people that might already be doing this oceans and fisheries, uh, like the, the plant people, you know, go over to the Georgeson Botanical Garden, see if they have any white plants or, I mean, uh, take it from, uh, you know, my dream to stage one. Like, I, I, we'll just have a meeting. It's all about meetings anyway, isn't it? <laughs> Too much. Um, yeah, no, it really is with, with that. I, I think that, you, you know, we'd have to figure out what the state of the science is and understand how that idea works. And, and you know, geoengineering is a big deal, a big deal right now. Um, uh, yeah, let's get you in touch with um, experts in the field at the University of Alaska Fairbanks or one of the other University of Alaska campuses or anywhere broader than that. You know, we've got a strong network across the Pacific Northwest. The Pacific Northwest is pretty strong in clean tech. Um, let's get you in touch with those folks. Um, have you 
get read up on the science and the engineering and then um and then have you in, in not just the you know the the textbook but also the business side of it what's going on and what are people investing in and what's already being done um so much research gets done uh for the sake of research and then they come to me and they're like let's turn this into a product and i'm like nobody wants that product it wasn't a good idea we should have thought you know six months ago when you were working on this about what what in industry actually wants um and and some researchers are better about thinking about that at a time that, than others okay so let's shift gears you have a, a law background you have a uh you've passed the bar you're a registered patent attorney um just out of curiosity why is alaska the only state without a law school <laughs> i guess it's uh there's, lack of, people, there's not enough too much space yeah. not enough people like uh that's probably it um I, alaska's got bigger problems than than uh needing a law school right now <laughs> so i'm not worried about that there is there was temporarily so there's been like informal partner or formal partnerships between alaska and some law schools i think seattle law school or uh, oregon that uh, yeah Willamette. that they partner with they're always trying to get the undergrads to go there yeah um so i mean in the just educationally do you think in the future there'll be just an online law school i mean i know there should be law school is you got to go in there and contracts and courts let's just do it yeah i there's no law school doesn't need to be, way law school doesn't need to be in person and it doesn't need to be um it, it's kind of an antiquated system of education i you know we've got a school of education at uaf and there are many of them throughout the country who know very well how to educate adults and those tactics are not what necessarily is being employed in law schools. You know, the best practices for educating adults is not the model that are, they're not using those models in law school. So it's more of like the old days, see if you can jump through the hoops of fire and make it to the end. Congratulations, now you're in the club. Yeah, it's, it's a nice little barrier to protect the uh, people who are already lawyers to limit the number of uh, new people who enter into the profession, I guess you could say. Same thing with the bar, bar, the bar, the, you got to pass the bar exam in all, in any state that you want to practice or if, or, yeah. So, and actually there's an additional bar um, for the, to become a patent attorney. And that one, I'll admit really? that one, and, and that, that was pretty difficult for me because I was starting with, with no experience um, in patent law. Um, that one though, it's pretty practical. You really need to learn all that stuff. But the problem with a bar exam is, you know, they test you on all these different areas, but you're only going to end up, you you know, net practicing probably in a very narrow subsection of that. Um, so with the patents, let's say I'm going to patent my white fish food that floats and saves the world. It does the patents and the trademarks that all goes through DC and like Virginia, right? It, it's not a state thing. Right. Yeah. Um, patents, US patent and trademark office the uspto and then there's also the copyright um copyright office where you can register your pat your copyrights uh yeah that's all federal based uh there is um local law on some areas of intellectual property not patent law though patent law is all uh national and each country has their own and there's even a, a, an international sort of system uh right so you should try to that's something else definitely to be thinking about with the uh fish food reflecting <laughs> um 
And, and that's real, you know, important to have that IP strategy, uh, to be thinking about it early on as you're going through the invention process. And that is definitely the way many industries work or companies work and some researchers work. You know, I want to be working toward protectable IP and there's different ways you can protect your IP, also trade secret, um, to make sure that when you get to the end, uh, you've got something that can be protected so that you can monetize it. And, you know, some people are sort of uh, philosophically against capitalism, tough to do that if you live in the United States, but they don't want to make money. But, you know, one of the best ways, often the best way to get your invention to the market is, or no, to, to the public, for the public's benefit, you know, so many researchers just want to have a positive impact in the world. So many people, mo many, most people just want to have it be recognized and have a positive impact. One of the best ways to do that is is through the capitalist system that we live in and through the market and commercialization. You know, a drug company is not going to invest the, you know, $30 million to bring your drug to the to the market if they're not going to have a monopoly on that drug at the end of the day. And they're not going to have the uh, monopoly on that on that drug if they don't have the, you know, the, the monopoly comes through the patent. Patent is a, a temporary monopoly on that technology. Um, so it's really important. That, that's why the patent system is set up the way it is. It's to incentivize, incentivize investment. So in, in, re, in people who are philosophically opposed to commercialization, their technologies might not ever reach the market because there's not the protections in place to allow for the uh, investment. I mean, you certainly have to understand that it's like a capitalistic market and like even you have the best invention in the world, there'll be people out there that will want to make money off of it if you don't. And uh, you have to kind of protect yourself from that, I guess. I mean, uh, there, there's uh, there's people in the world and not all of their, um, <laughs> the ways they go about things are necessarily beneficial to, you know, other people, let's just say, put it nicely. So Mark, looking at your background, you were on the Alaska Bureau of Land Management, the BLM, the regional council. Um, what uh, what kind of fun things did you guys do? The BLM land in Alaska is different than, uh, I mean, it's federal, but it's not, it, it seems like it's less regulated. Like you can go hunt more on BLM land. Is that kind of the consensus or, I mean, what kind of fun things was, were on the agenda there for your RAC uh, meetings? Yeah, the Resource Advisory Council. Um, yeah, you know, BLM manages their land for multi-use, and it depends on you know they section it off areas for for different uses. Uh, you know, resource extraction down to non-motorized recreation, um, and that causes all kinds of conflicts. I, I guess actually the conflicts are greater in the in the lower forty-eight where you've got you know people closer together. And wanting to use the land for different reasons, and you know all kinds of um, environmental law lawsuits filed over this stuff. Um, Alaska has uh, is an enormous amount of public lands, and BLM is the biggest landholder out of them. Um, so we're dealing, you know, we were dealing with, you know, mines, Red Dog Mine, all the way the um, uh, road, you know, the road to nowhere. Uh, to just local trying to increase recreational use of, of the land that that's already dedicated to recreation um a wide a wide range of uses um you know i it's it's really 
I was just recently um, at a park and a, a, a county park in the lower 48, and we've got the borough parks in, in, in Alaska. Um, it's such a great resource and it can go under-recognized. I mean, so many people use it. I, I guess maybe from a, coming from Alaska, we're a lot of outdoorsy people, but we use the land so much and it's such a great resource. Um, and there's land managers there, people who it's their profession to manage that land well and, and, um, and make maximize its availability and uh, balance different people's uses of it. Um, it's such, it's just, you know, I, I hope that people uh, use it a lot and recognize the value that it plays in their life. I mean, you know, think of Central Park, like it's the centerpiece of Manhattan. Um, that's my opinion. What, no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, you're coming from uh, an inside perspective and uh, going down your CV, your resume, you were a planning commissioner for the Fairbanks North Star Borough. And uh, I imagine that is land use uh, up to your eyeballs, just arguing over like how high a tree can grow and whether the tree's allowed to grow that high. I mean, uh, I've been involved in local government down here and I know I mean, for me, land use is an arduous slog of pain, um, but that might just be me rebelling against my parents who uh, were, you know, in construction and it's always like, you know, but uh, the speak a little bit about being a planning commissioner for the North Star Borough and then like for, you know, people uh, on the outside in the lower 48, um, like boroughs are like counties combined with a bunch of other things. I mean, it's a, in the political science world, this is like totally fascinating what's going on up there. What, what is a borough? Yeah, a borough in the simplest explanation can just be uh, analogized to a, a county in most places in the lower 48 where, where they have counties. Um, yeah, you know, the Alaska's, um, so yeah, on the, I'm actually on the Economic Development Commission now. I'm not on the, um, I was on the uh, Planning Commission. Not anymore. Uh, it's been a couple of years. Um, it's a little different, uh, a little more libertarian, but also rural and, you know, just not, the state's not that old. Um, mm -hmm. Much less regulation than, you're, you're in Southern California, is that right? Yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, totally different ball game. <laughs> um, the level of enforcement, uh, the North Star Borough has one enforcement officer and right now there's a fight to have a second. So one enforcement officer wow. for all boroughs. So it's the exact opposite of down here where like red tape, you are wrapped in red tape. And if you even come close to a government building, they're gonna, you're gonna have to have a permit. You have to have an appointment to use the bathroom. Like it is government uh, run amok. And so it's a bit like Texas. It, 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 right, you could just build whatever, and then if it falls down, then we have a problem. Yeah, I think it's Houston that um, doesn't have zoning or has like a, a most extreme version of, of, of limited zoning. And, you know, you can pull that off in, in Fairbanks, we, where we do have zoning, but, it, you know, it's maybe uh, easier to change it. But in Houston, that's a pretty big city. So it's kind of quite the mishmash that they have there. It's pretty interesting. It, it, I know. I remember my dad had some uh, stuff. He was doing some business in Texas and was just like astounded at the first time he went out there and how easy it was to get things approved to build compared to the uh, to Los Angeles, city of Los Angeles, and you know building and safety. But uh, it, it is fascinating. Now, just 
does the borough and the city council in Fairbanks work together? Like, is it like a lower house, upper house, or it's just totally separate governments altogether? Uh, it would be like you've got your county assembly or whatever you have there in LA, and then you've got your state senate, and they they don't necessarily work together, but you know, one of them is. Uh, contained within the, the larger state. So here we've got the city of Fairbanks is contained within the borough. Um, and they do have a, the city itself has a police department. The borough does not have a police department. It relies on the state, um, the state troopers. Um, Interesting. Yeah, it's just the way that they, they've split it up and the way it's evolved over time. You know, Alaska, like I said, is still a pretty young state. So there's still a lot, um, a lot, a lot to be done. I mean, and our laws have not, you know, when you're, uh, our case law is more limited. So when the Supreme, Alaska Supreme Court's reviewing cases, they, they have to go outside pretty, uh, lower 48 pretty often to look for really? case law. Yeah. Did they know. go to Oregon? They, didn't they use Oregon's law as a territorial law or something before? And then you went to law school in Oregon, you're Lewis and Clark. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, that's in Portland. I went to law school there and they a lot of a lot of Alaska law is based on Oregon law, uh, and I, perhaps for that reason, a lot of lawyers in Alaska went to law school at the University of Oregon or at Lewis and Clark. It makes to, sense now. It begins to make sense. I was trying to figure out like why are they always trying to farm people to go to Oregon? Like there's a an email I saw like come and meet uh, you know Chancellor so and so uh, you know pre law, and it, it's fascinating. But when when you look at it before Alaska became a state, they were just using Oregon territorial law as their, you, you know, whatever was litigated last or whatever uh, was the last thing ruled because I mean, 1959 wasn't that long ago. Alaska is, you know, the 49th state. And you're pretty well traveled looking at your uh, CV. You went to the University of Florida from 99 to 2003. So you're a Gator. Uh, we're in Gainesville. Given your like traveling all over America, you're in New Orleans right now. I'm in New Orleans. Yeah, it's I love great. New Orleans. I got married. Hey, it's Mardi Gras. It is. Yeah, I got married in New Orleans. Nice. It, it, it's a great city, and I love jazz. So you can just walk down the the street and like it's live jazz coming out of a, a bar or a pub, and it's. It's amazing. It's one of the most amazing cities in the world, certainly in America. But given where you, uh, you you've traveled all over, uh, you know, our great country, do, have you seen like the, the changes in climate change? Like, I mean, certainly in Alaska, the melting permafrost and people's homes are like tilting, but like in New Orleans or in Florida, like what changes have you seen? I, I can tell you in California, we have more wildfires and the season lasts longer. It's totally apparent from where you uh, travel and see what, what have you seen in the last like decade? I guess the number one, I mean, so certainly Alaska is where I see the greatest impact. The impact. I've been there for about 20 years and um, I can remember when winters were colder than they are now. And it's only been 20 years. I mean, you talk to people who've been there for 50 years and there, there's no doubt. Um, and the, it, you know, the, the, the vegetation is moving up the hill um, noticeably. I have a cabin uh, right outside of Denali National Park and it's right on tree line now, but we were talking just recently, this, this cabin's probably not gonna be um, out of the trees forever. It's gonna be in the trees eventually. Right? And it, 
it was it, it was just a right on the tree line like the birch line that they're talking about how it keeps like going towards the brooks range um for us it's a it's a spruce it's a spruce tree line um where it levels off the spruce tree coming out of a valley and coming up off the um highway we're like eight miles off the highway um and then it gets to tundra or as far as you can see, but it's, it's moving up. I mean, you, and I've had that land for like eight years and I, I, there, I can already see some, some extra growth there. No kidding. Where is that? Like by Healy? Yeah, it's off, it's off Stampede, uh, Stampede Road, Stampede Trail. It's in Healy. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what about just like around Fairbanks? I mean, I know some of the professors, have, uh, you know, discuss like, you know, they uh, have a home and it, you know where it was always frozen now it's not and like some of the parts of their you know like say their shed or their garage it's not attached it's like tilting they're sinking i mean it, it, in alaska it is two or three times faster the global warming effect than uh down here in the lower 48 um anything else that you see in alaska that's like noticeable that like if you're joe six pack you're like hey whoa that's that's real I, with my own eyes you know well glaciers retreating but um glaciers various glaciers have always retreated um or even outside of global warming so it's hard for me to say that one is retreating because of global warming but when they take a look you know th this is with my own eyes i can't say i have this view of 75 percent of glaciers and a large percent of them are, or a larger percentage of them are retreating than they should. But you, you know, I read the science I'm at the university and the, in the science uh, department, sort of in the vice working in the in the research realm. So I hear about all, all this stuff, but what I can see, um, no, the the big things are the vegetation going up the tree up the hillsides, um, the temperature changes, and thawing out permafrost you know, right there in the Goldstream Valley, um, which for people who don't know, it's just kind of part of Fairbanks. It's just on the other side of the hill. There's a bunch, it's a residential area. Um, you know, that that's all totally visible. And then, and then outside of that, um, I'm, I'm from South Florida, actually. I, I grew up in, in Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. um, they're just more, more storms, um, more frequently, that than there than there were before you know andrew was a big thing um really? Lord, okay. back in 1990 i think it was um but that's just it, it's it's much more common and um in in the you know sea level rise is happening there as well um miami's you know making real plans it's it's interesting you know what was it oh I'm at a conference right now with a bunch of people who all, all of our jobs, we all have the same job, and that is to commercialize research um, products coming out of universities. Um, and there's plenty, and you know, what, what are those the big needs of the world right now? You know, there's tons of biotech, um, a lot of um, computer science, AI, ML. Um, there's a, a ton of clean tech as well, though. Um, wh what's amazing is, that there's politics and then there's business. And even what you would consider perhaps a, a conservative business, I mean, Exxon isn't gonna get left behind when we transition to a greener economy. They are money driven. They're not oil driven or politics driven. You know, maybe there's whatever politics in there, but 
they're they're on top of this. They're they're investing in 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 clean energy. Um, so when you have you know politicians at the state level or at the national level or wherever who are you know maybe anti green economy, it, it's it's totally it's it's irrational. I mean they're not following the money. It, it's. Well, that I mean, that would be the easiest transition. I mean, if the let's just say the oil industry has bought off the Congress and the Republicans, like why not uh, just use that model and have the green energy, uh, you know, uh, economy start purchasing politicians like you're supposed to, and then uh, just trans transition the oil people to green energy. I mean. there is, like you said, there's no way to take capitalism out of it in America. And if you have the next greatest gidget or widget, there's going to be people that are like, hey, we could make loads of money on this. It, 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 so, you know, from a political science perspective, the, what I'm seeing is the green on the left that is almost socialist, that is anti-capitalist. That's not the way to go when it should be capitalism driving the whole thing. I mean, you could even make the new business, the new green industrial revolution. And then if, you know, the Pentagon want, you know, they love funding, make it a national security issue, make, uh, you know, saving the environment uh, part of the military. You know, if if we could control weather and, you know, if the American military could send in a hurricane, you know, like maybe to the Ukraine right now to help them out. Here's some weather. Um, well, it is it is a national security issue, and the Department of Defense is investing in in clean tech and all over the place. I mean, we have um, you know the Arctic resilience. They they want resilience in the Arctic, and they're investing in in technologies that'll improve the Arctic resilience, which includes figuring out how to deal with climate change. And that's money coming from the Department of Defense to the University of Alaska right now, today. So um, you think so the people they, on the left just have the narrative wrong or that's just what they're using for fundraising? Like, I don't get it because it, their heart's in the right place. It's just their, it, it, it's America. I mean, the whole thing was based on making a buck. I mean, <laughs> the Dutch, founded New York and it was like New Amsterdam before as a trading post. I mean, these were English colonies that were set up to go make money for the crown. I mean, uh, if that's the case, then let's make some money off of saving the world, right? Right, I mean, so without even making a statement on capitalism versus socialism, you want to get something done, don't go the socialist route. It's not going to be the effective one. Just don't, don't do that. And, and your point's right, but the left, I, I don't want to talk about politics here, but the, um, the, the oil companies are already communicating to conservative representatives. They're shifting opinion on climate change and it is influencing things. That's great. The oil companies are lobbying the ones on the right to, uh, hey, how about a tax credit here and there for this, you know, like, uh, that's far out. I mean, when you think about it, the, I guess the, the, there is no way to get away from the politics, you know, more than when there's more than two people in a room, there's politics, right? So the, it's just kind of how it goes. But well, hey, there's, there is just, I don't like to talk about politics because 
it is divisive. And there is so much overlapping opportunity. It's a waste of time to talk about things that split people apart when there's already so much overlapping that we can be collaborating on and building. And that's exciting and fun and interesting. And that's how I want to spend my life. You know, I, I mean, that's there, there's just around every turn, there's another opportunity about for, for, for things that we could be doing in Alaska, in Fairbanks and Alaska for the United States, for the world, um, you know, financially, techno technologically, um, companies, existing companies, new companies, um, research wise, socially, there's just so much opportunity. And like, that's why, you know, don't waste your time on this divisive politics thing when there's common ground that's exciting and that we can all get behind and make progress with. We can argue about, you know, pizza toppings or, you know, what salad dressing we're going to use. We don't need to uh, bring in the uh, politics. There, I think everywhere you go, though, I mean, people love arguing about things that they, they don't know about. I specialize in that. I go around pretending like I know about things and I have no idea about anything at all. Everywhere I go, I, the longer I'm on this planet, the more confused I am. But uh, certainly... Uh, you are right. I mean, it, given your background, it makes sense that you would have these positions. But even if you didn't, it, it, it really is the the capitalistic uh, creation of the economy for green energy. I mean, it, the the answer is in between the two parties. I mean, it, it's terrible to say, and it probably will take years for anything to get done. But at least at least we have our uh, bleached goldfish food idea and we can use that as like uh, something i can write a term paper on and uh i can uh, the next time i'm in fairbanks i can uh, take you over to the pub we'll get those legendary nachos that i hear so much about i i am eager and optimistic about leadership i, I want a good a good leader who can bridge the gaps um a charismatic leader who isn't polarizing though the way politics is set up is is to, to polarize regardless um fine then maybe not at the national level but maybe at the state level at the local level but um I, i'm a big believer in the potential of leadership <laughs> potential because i don't see it often enough <laughs> uh, i'll believe in that too then that's fantastic <laughs> well mark let's finish up with uh just florida because i am looking uh, just for my own fun I'm looking to go to the University of Florida for my uh, graduate degree in journalism. Like how cool is Florida? Is it just, I, I know there's a thing where if you Google Florida man on your birthday, okay, can you maybe explain what Florida, like why is everything in this country that's weird come out of Florida? Can you just explain that? Is there like a, a, a Bermuda Triangle down there? There is, huh? I mean, yeah, right. There Florida is special. Florida is very special for America. It is, but it is why uh, but, but why is it so weird or what is it i mean so You're it's perfect. awesome it's awesome it's it's the it's a totally awesome. modern melting pie there mm -hmm. there's so much going on there it's the most dynamic place i mean it's not the most but um because texas is right there as well and new york has always kind of been there and california has too but it's happening right now in florida and maybe mo more like more dynamically changing right now than anywhere else in the United States. And it's just so, um, it's just so international uh, and so variable politically and economically. Um, it's just, it's just, there's so much going on there right now. And then, yeah, but you've got, you know, the 
people their families have been there for many generations and they're you know farming cows uh, or they're, they're cow ranchers um cattle ranchers and then you've got you know high-tech startups and you've got the um the defense industry and you've got the um aeronautical and space industry there you've got the entertainment um and healthcare and all you know all it's got the tax incentives all the old people move there and that's got all kinds of potential but um it's got the great weather there's just so much going on there but yeah you're right the, i know you know i know the, the florida man i mean florida. I, that's me that's my my family my, my brother lives there my folks live there um so my brother is the florida man right but i don't think so, he's uh, so it's not just orange groves and uh, swampland like there's more going on there i heard there's like this thing in orlando called disney world and then yeah. uh when Ernest Hemingway was way into Key West. I mean, it's worth going. I mean, uh, there's oh, something going on. There's something going on. You want to go somewhere where there's something going on. I mean, in a rising... So it was cool to be a gator. It was cool to, that, to be an undergrad in Gainesville. You got, you got everything you need is available in Florida, except, you know, glaciers and, and mountains. It's got, I think the highest point is like 600 feet. Yeah, no, Florida's, University of Florida is a great, it's really a truly a very good school, like academically a very good school. Um, and it's, you got at your fingertips, the East Coast, the West Coast, you can go down South Florida and you go up North. Up north. There's, it, it's just in the center. Um, it, it, it's really a great, great place. I really would encourage you to go there. I, uh, it's on my uh, top three list uh, for University of Missouri, Mizzou, um, Alabama, uh, the Crimson Tide and then Florida, but I'm kind of leaning to be a Gator. I, uh, I feel like it's calling me. And, uh, you know, my grandparents uh, were from Indiana and they would go down to Florida and vacation. There's always like everyone that's right of the Mississippi, that's uh, east of the Mississippi River, they would always go to Florida. It, it just seems like there's a part of American culture, especially on the East Coast, that you vacation in Florida, like the Kennedys, uh, the Trumps, um you you know the, the billingsleys everyone that's it it's, it's the place to be well mark i, I appreciate your time uh, i thank you for coming on the show i'll uh you know edit this and uh, let you know when it's going to be on uh, ksua 91.5 and uh, i'll be in fairbanks in like seven weeks so i'm going to send you an email and look you up and uh, maybe we'll go uh bowling right there or uh we'll have to, go over to the pub and have nachos and uh, we'll chat about Florida. And thanks for coming and doing the show, man. This has been great. This is a cool, a cool project you have going on. Uh, good luck. Yeah. Look me up. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, I don't know. I'm not much of a bowler, but I'm happy to uh, buy you a beer. Well, that, that'll be good. We'll do it on a Friday night. I only, uh, <laughs> I only have beer on Fridays. So, uh, and then new Orleans will be, uh, that's gotta be just great being there. I mean, uh, the live jazz, the, the food, because it's French. I mean, it was a French colony, so that never left. I mean, you have probably the best food in America right there. You, uh, you're pretty lucky on uh, uh, this day and that day. It's all right to be Mark Billingsley, isn't it? Life is good. <laughs> Life is good. That is a, they should make a bumper sticker, a t-shirt that says that. Mark, you're a scholar and a gentleman, sir. I appreciate your time, and uh, I will send the show over when it's done, and uh, I'll see you in seven to eight weeks. Excellent. Thanks, George. Yes, yes sir. Have a good have a good day. Thank you. Goodbye. You have been listening to Join the Conversation, our podcast and radio show out of Fairbanks, Alaska. 
I'm your host, George Christopher Thomas, and I thank you for tuning in. I hope you will join the conversation next week as we travel to Juneau, Alaska once again, but this time to speak with Alaska State Senator Scott Kawasaki. We chat, we chat about Manzanar, the Japanese internment camps, World War II, elections in Alaska, the North Star Borough system, and the political culture in the 49th state. Until then, keep being rad and tell your friends, family, and neighbors about this show.